Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. What is your purpose in life? I believe when a person finds out what they are made for and they start chasing after that in such a way that you are willing to face resistance, to swim upstream, to chase after that purpose, that is when you find what it is to be human. Now, this week, we are starting with a brand new series called Upstream, and uh, I want to invite you to come alongside us as we, together as a church, discover what it means practically to live out our purpose in this life. Now, just for research uh, for this sermon, Upstream, uh, I was reading up a little bit on, on different kinds of fish that actually have the ability to swim upstream. Now, I'm not a big fisher myself. I don't love fish that much. Uh, I love fish and chips, but that's because I love chips. Uh, that, that's the main dish for me is the chips, and the fish is sort of the side dish uh, for me. Uh, but there is one kind of fish that actually is very tasty, and that is salmon fish. The salmon fish is quite expensive. That also happens to be one of the fish that has the ability to swim upstream. Now, it's quite fascinating. These salmon fish, they get uh, born uh, in these uh, river beds uh, and then inland, and then they swim downstream all the way to the ocean where they reach maturity. And after being away from the place where they were born, thousands of kilometers away, they at one point decide to migrate back to the place of birth so that they can lay eggs and then the adults can then give life and, and the, the, this life cycle starts again. Now what's fascinating is that these fish, they find the right river and they start swimming upstream, some of them hundreds of kilometers. They swim upstream, whenever they get to a little waterfall, they've got the ability to jump three meters in the air to get over a waterfall. And some of these fish come within meters of the place where they were born. And then they go and lay eggs again. Now, the sad reality is that after these fish, these salmon fish uh, have migrated and they give birth or they spawn, um, they die. And so it's a quite depressing story. They swim upstream, they spawn, and then they die. But it's actually also a beautiful picture of an understanding of knowing what your purpose is. These fish actually know what their purpose is and they live this purpose out. Now, I believe everything in creation was made with a purpose. That's the way that God created everything. He is a purposeful God, and He's created you with a purpose. Now, I believe there is a church that understood what it means to know what their purpose is and to chase after their purpose, even if there is resistance, even if it's difficult. And it's the church in Thessalonica. Um, th there's written about this church in Acts chapter 17. They had this reputation for actually throwing the whole world upside down and the, the, because of the, the, the people that they upset, the, the Hebrews there um, uh, in that town where they lived, as well as the Greeks and the Roman government, everyone was upset with them. But in spite of the resistance, they kept on swimming upstream because God had called them to a specific purpose. Now, there's a wonderful testimony about this church. And so in 1 Thessalonians uh, 1, verses 2 and 3, and so Paul is writing this um, letter to this church, and he writes the following. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, this church is considered to be a model church or an example for the other churches. For the rest of us as Christians, this is a good example. And so Paul commends them on these three things, on their faith, on their love, and on their hope. I don't know if you've seen in someone's house, uh, sometimes many of us, we've got these beautiful three words in our houses, put up against the wall or maybe against the fridge, and it's love, hope, and faith. And uh, I think sometimes those words can be very airy-fairy. They're not very concrete always. Now, the wonderful thing about this church, they knew what it means practically to live out a faith. Uh, So Paul commends them on their work of faith. It's not only their faith. It's not a feeling only. It's their work of faith. This church understood that a faith that does not work does not work. A faith that does not work does not work. And so their faith stirred them to work in the kingdom of God. And then it goes on to speak about the labor of love. You see, love is not a feeling that you have. It's not only having good feelings toward others. Love compels you to labor toward something. My wife knows that I love her, not when I tell her I love you. She knows I love her when I labor a little bit in the house. I clean the kitchen. I do something nice for her. That's when she feels that I really love her if I show it in my labor. Now, this church also understood what hope is. Hope is not wishing for something. Hope is keeping on in your work, being steadfast in your goal. Now, I think we can learn so much from this church. Living in a country where sometimes we get so frustrated with our, uh, maybe with our government that we kind of want to lose hope. And we think like, what's the point of giving ourselves, you know, for the good of the city if others aren't doing the same? But this church understood, even if there is opposition, they remain steadfast in their hope. They kept on swimming upstream because they knew what their purpose was. Now, we're going to be speaking about these three things and what they practically mean. How do we practically live out these concepts of faith, love, and hope? But what I want to speak about today is the message that we actually live from. You see, I believe that sometimes the reason why we struggle to look like this church, if you compare this church to the church in South Africa or the Christians in South Africa, it feels like the two doesn't necessarily line up, right? And so we have to ask the question, where's the problem? Now, I believe some of part of the problem is sometimes in the message that we have received or the message that we share one another from this good book. And it's because we sometimes give a half of a truth. So let me tell you another fishing story. Now, you know that some fishing stories aren't always the full truth, right? So I'm going to tell you about the day that I caught my first fish. Um, It was a nice, big, fat one. It really was. If I can be completely honest, um, this is a half of a truth. This is the full truth. That's how big it was. It wasn't a very impressive fish. And also, the reality is that it wasn't necessarily my fish. It was sort of, but not entirely. You see, it's, it's, that's only half of the truth. Uh, the full truth is that I had a friend. Uh, my dad taught me everything. You know, uh, He taught me how to shoot, and he taught me how to drive a bucky on the farm, and he taught me how to swing a golf club, but he didn't teach me anything about fishing because he's also not someone that loves fishing too much. But I had a friend, Martin, and he said, enough is enough. I'm going to take you to a dam this weekend, and I'm going to show you how to catch a fish. And so we went, 
And he made the whole millibomb, I don't know what you call that, but like the whole thing, like the, the, the bait. And he was putting that on the hook. I don't know how to do that. And then uh, the fishing rod, like I don't know where to throw it in. So he even did that for me. Then he put the fishing rod down. And then when there was a, a bite, I didn't even see it. So Martin had to pick the fishing rod up, put it in my hands. And then he says, cup. I don't know what cup means. So I just says, what must a cup? I don't know what to do with this thing. And he says, no, just pull it back. And then I pull it back. I nearly broke the fishing rod. And then, you know, I just brought the fish in. That's the only thing I did. I did this and I did this. And then Martin had to take the fish off the hook and, you know, do everything basically because I didn't know how to do that. And that was the one fish that I caught in my life. So it's only a half of a story if I tell you that I've caught my very own fish. Now, when it comes to the gospel, what is the half of the message that I believe that sometimes we live in or the paradigm that we live in that causes us to struggle to go into action like this church in Thessalonica? Now, I believe this Bible, you can divide into four main themes or call it four chapters, the four chapters of the gospel, which is a full gospel. And it starts with the first theme, which is creation. And then the second theme which is the fall, and then the third theme, which is restoration, or redemption, sorry, and then the fourth theme, or the fourth chapter of the gospel is restoration. Now, I believe many of us have grown up with a chapter two and chapter three only gospel. We, many of us grew up where, where the fall and redemption was emphasized alone, and that is the truth. The fall and redemption is part of the gospel, but it's not the full picture. You see, sometimes the way that we share the gospel is we start off in Genesis 3. And we tell people that you are a sinner. You are useless and you are disgusting. You are a worm. And then we say, but don't worry, there is hope. If you put your faith in Jesus, you can get a ticket to heaven. And so the message that we sometimes preach to people is saying that there is this world that we are living in is so broken and worthless, there's no hope in this world except for the fact that you can put your faith in Jesus and then one day you can go to heaven and have an eternity in heaven with Jesus. That's it. That's the story that we tell people. But you know what the problem is or the, the, the limitation with that gospel, if you only focus on the fall and on redemption alone, is that we end up with Christians that have got a very, very low self-esteem, a very low picture or view of themselves, and also Christians that are passive, Christians that are inactive. Now, the reason for that is because we view ourselves still as sinners, and we don't understand that we are actually the righteousness of God, and we also don't understand our purpose in life, because the purpose is to wait for heaven, right? If the message that you received is that you are a sinner, there's no hope, but don't worry, one day you're going to go to heaven, if that is the only hope that you have, then we're not going to pursue anything else in this life. We're not going to swim upstream with a mission in this life because we're just going to wait for heaven to come down one day. You see, the full gospel starts in chapter 1. It starts in Genesis chapter 1. Let me quickly read to you what Genesis chapter 1 says. It teaches about creation. Then God says, said, Let us make man. This is Genesis 1 verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in, the, in our image. After our likeness, and let them have 
dominion. Your purpose, your calling in life is to have dominion in this life. To have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds, and over the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. You are created in God's image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. God created you. And if God created them, you, surely he created you with a purpose. That is good. And God blessed them and God said to them, now listen to this, this is important. If you understand your bigger calling in life, you need to start with Genesis 1. And it says, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over everything. You were called to subdue the, this world around you and to have dominion, to be fruitful. Now, verse 31 is extremely important. In Genesis 1, verse 31, it says, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. When God looks at this world, he doesn't say it's disgusting. He says it is very good. He created this world. And he says it was very good. Uh, I've got two boys. The one is turning three next week, and the other one is about four and a half years old. Now, I've got a routine in my house that every night there are these two things that I tell them before I put them to bed. Uh, now, one of these two things is, I'm, I'm going to say it in Afrikaans, because I say it in Afrikaans, and then I'm going to translate it to you. So I tell them, God het jou gemaakt, God het jou goed gemaakt, en God het jou gemaakt om goed te doen. I tell them, God made you, God made you good, and he made you to do good. You need to hear that today. God made you, and he made you good, and he made you to do good. You know why that's important? Because if people understand, if that becomes part of our paradigm of the gospel, and we understand what we were created for at first, and that then we, then we start preaching the second chapter, which is the fall of man, that we separated, we stopped trusting in God, and we separated ourselves from God. And because of that, there is this brokenness in this world. But then Jesus came to redeem us and to bring us back to our Father again, so that restoration can happen again. So that what God intended in the beginning can be restored again. So that we can live a life that is good, that we, we actually do good to this world around us. See, that is the chapter one that is so important. Just maybe a quick side note on, on the fall. Uh, we sometimes are quick to blame Adam and Eve for sin. Now, the reason for our sin is not necessarily, you can't pin everything on Adam and Eve. We have to take responsibility for our sin. The reason why I was far away from God was because I sinned. You see, uh, Adam and Eve are actually an example of us. Uh, Michael Eaton puts it this way. He says, if you were in the Garden of, uh, of Eden, you would have done exactly the same. But then Jesus comes, and Jesus starts a new humanity. Romans 5 explains this, as Jesus is the second Adam. He starts a new humanity. Jesus is not only an example for us, he is an example of us. He is the beginning of this new creation, and if you are in Christ, you are part of that bloodline, part of this new humanity. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 verse uh, 17 says that we are uh, those who are in Christ are new creation. 
We are now new. We are no longer, in chapter 2, we are no longer sinners. Even though you might struggle with sin, your identity is no longer sinner. You become the righteousness of God. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 says. It says, uh, For our sake God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, God changed places with us. And our identity shifts from being sinner to being the righteousness of God. And that changes the way that we live in this life. You see, it's so much more than a ticket to heaven because we were created good in the beginning. We were separated from this purpose and this calling of ours, but because of Christ's redemption, we are now reconciled back to this calling and purpose that God has made us. And so that puts us in this fourth chapter, this fourth theme of the gospel, which is restoration. Now, as soon as we think about restoration, most of us start thinking about Revelation 21 and Revelation 22, which gives us this, this beautiful picture of the completion of everything, the completion of creation, where God comes and he makes everything new again. He, he, he completes the work of restoration because we read about this, this new heaven that comes down and this new earth that comes down, this new Jerusalem where God's presence is there with his people all the time. And something like, like pain and death and tears is something of the past. It's no more. It's only God's presence. And it's the kingdom of God is ruling alone. You see, the kingdom of God is this place of restoration. And the kingdom of God is anywhere where the king is. Where the presence of God is, there we find the kingdom of God. Now, what we need to understand about this fourth theme or this fourth chapter in the gospel is that it's not only something that will happen in the future. It will be completed in the future, but it actually has already started. This is not something that is future tense only. This is actually something that is past tense. It is present continuous tense, and it is also future tense. Just think about this for, for a moment. Jesus came to declare the kingdom of heaven. He declared that the kingdom of God is now here. What was he pointing to? He was pointing to himself. The kingdom of God is now here because the presence of God is now here. Uh, the Pharisees asked Jesus in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, being asked by the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. So they asked him, Jesus, when is the kingdom of God going to be here? And he says, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus was telling them, the kingdom of God is here. I am here because the presence of God is here. So the kingdom of God, this restoration has already started in the person and the work of Jesus. And then Jesus promises with his Holy Spirit, when we receive the Holy Spirit, the Father and the Son, they come and make their home inside of you. You see, and so when the presence of God is ruling in you, then the kingdom of God is ruling in you. And when we go out and we establish the kingdom of God so that the kingdom of God becomes a reality in our city in 2020, we are seeing the kingdom of God coming down, present continuous tense. We are seeing restoration and we are working in this fourth chapter. 
bringing the kingdom of God, making it evident in our world with the hope and with the knowledge that one day God will complete this work of restoration that he's already started, that he's busy doing through his church, through you and through me, he will complete on one day. Now, Jesus prays in Matthew 6, verse 9 to 10. It'll be a last verse, then I'll finish off. He says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And so he's saying, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Your calling, my friend, is to bring down the kingdom of God. Is to live out the kingdom of God. To express the presence of God that is already in you. Where the kingdom of God is already ruling. Is to allow that to spread. And to see the kingdom of God becoming a reality in your world. But you see, that's not possible if you see yourself just as a disgusting sinner that's got a ticket to heaven. That's a two-chapter gospel. The four-chapter gospel explains that you were made good. You were made by God, and you were made good, and you were made to do good. But then there is distance, and we have to acknowledge that it was our sin that created that distance, and therefore we are in need of a Savior. You have to acknowledge that you are in need of a Savior. And once you understand the redemption of Christ and that his work is a completed work, you understand that the kingdom of heaven is actually established already inside of you. The presence of God is in you through the Spirit. The Father has made his home inside of you. And that you've got a mission on this world, this mission of restoration that is past tense, present tense, and is also future tense. My prayer for you is that you would discover that you've got a great purpose in this life. Where you are, where God has placed you, to spread the kingdom of God right there where you are, and that you would discover this four-chapter gospel, and that it's so much more than a narrow gospel that many of us might have grew up with. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for, for coming and doing such a complete work, God, so that your presence can be restored in our lives again. Father, thank you that you are with us always, that you've come and made a home inside of us, God, that we can taste heaven already now, God. And God, we look forward to that day when you are going to complete this new heaven and this new earth, God. We look forward to that day when we are going to see your kingdom fully around us. But God, will you give us the courage to be able to swim upstream even now in a year like 2020, to see your kingdom becoming a reality in our city. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.